Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 37 of Her Story, and happy 2021. This is your host, Cassidy Reed, and today I am talking with my old friend from high school, Lilia Woodbury. Lilia is a composer, a Broadway enthusiast, and a current student at IAMT. You'll hear that me mess that up a few times during this episode in their musical theater writing program. In this episode, Lily and I discuss her journey to composition, equity in musical theater, and the importance of support systems and mentorship in new music. So I'm so excited for you to listen to this new episode. Please let us know what you think and share with your friends. And I look forward to seeing you next Monday. My name is Lilia Woodbury. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. Um, I am originally from Clarence, New York, like Buffalo, uh, where Cassidy's from. Ooh. And I am living in Brooklyn right now. I've been living here for the past two-ish years, and I write musical theater, music, and lyrics. It's awesome. Yeah, I have not seen Lily or Lilia since high school. <laughs> so it's yeah, been a long, yeah, a long time. Probably like summer band were maybe the last times. <laughs> ah, summer band. Oh, good times. Time. Good times to be had by all. Yeah, and thank you for also including your pronouns at the very beginning. I haven't had many guests do that. I always include it in like the bio for the episodes, but not many people go on and actually give everybody their pronouns directly like that. So thank you for doing that. Um, I always think it's really good for everybody to put their pronouns on everything. Like it's in my email signature and things like that. People just know, we normalize it. Yeah, just normalizing it. Trying to introduce that in all of my corporate spheres too. Yes, yeah, it's awesome. Okay, so let's start at the very beginning. So what got you into music in the first place? Oh, this is so much fun to talk about because everything that I'm saying Cassidy has like also gone through. So I shall yep. tell Cassidy my background that is also the exact same as hers. So I am from a small suburb, well, I guess medium-ish uh, suburb, uh, pretty pretty affluent, very white suburb. Oh yeah. Buffalo has their ups and downs, has their, their pros and cons, I guess I would say. Um, has a very good music program. So I got involved in flute when I was little, when I was in fourth grade, I always knew that I wanted to play flute. Um, the band teacher told me that I could not play flute because I like couldn't get the, the embouchure right. And I was like, no, I really want to play flute. And I did and I won't say his, I did miss, I, I did play flute all throughout high school. So I think that's my first like, haha, take that moment of like the authority subverting expectations. <laughs> smash, smash the patriarchy at nine years old. Uh, so I, you know, bobbled around, thought, didn't know what I wanted to do for like college when, when I was in when I was in high school, trying to figure out, like, did I want to go into stem cell research? No. So I ended up choosing music ed um, for my major in undergrad and continued flute, like, throughout all of college. So flute uh, was my first instrument. Well, I guess I, I did take, like, piano for a couple of years. Um, but flute was, like, my my home, my my pride and joy. It's in my, it's in my closet right now in Brooklyn. I don't, I don't really play it anymore, but my flute is sitting behind me right now. 
Okay. It's still it's still around. It's still there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, yes. Lily and I went to the same high school. That's where we met. And she is correct in saying white, affluent, stereotypical band program, that sort of thing, for sure. Yes. Prepared us well. Like, honestly, did, like, there were some, some great teachers, some great people, yes. a lot of great people, but, yeah, definitely, like, seeped in privilege and gave us, like, a great background, but, like, you know, at what cost to... Yes, very, very great well. musical background. I do agree. Prepared me very well to go to a conservatory. Yes, there are definitely some issues with um, certain people running the program and things that <laughs> occurred. <laughs> uh, funny. Oh, good stuff. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like all that stuff is honestly rooted in, you know, the elitist mentality, right? It, mm -hmm. it was that stereotypical band program where everything was extremely competitive, very cutthroat all the time. At the same time, I feel like en enough of us bonded together that it like felt like a family, but like underneath that, there was that like, you don't want to sound like the band on the other side of transit was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the phrase even, we got a lot. Yes, yes, that is true. even the even the competition between the three bands in high school was like weird. It like mm -hmm. I think it I think it's like shifted a little bit because now I think like there's more overlap or there's more like once once the director started like doing different like they started conducting like two ensembles and it wasn't just like this weird like pissing contest between the directors which like love all of them like respect I still have like two of their numbers on my phone and I like text them on their birthday like no disrespect I love them dearly mm -hmm. but like this weird like it was like we even like we weren't supposed to be friends with like the other people in the in the bands but like we were but only to like learn from that it was this weird weird time um, yeah it which, really was yeah which like you know hasn't really gone away and like since we've I'm sure both been like growing up in this musical field this there's this there's these niches that like still exist of like competition and such but at the core of the best parts of Clarence and the best parts of people um were true kind-hearted people and a lot of bonding and friendship and camaraderie and just celebration of music and I think that idea also can be found um in the the industry of music as well. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. So you went on to pursue music ed. And can you talk about your experiences personally, um, in that major and what sort of discoveries you made as you were going through school? Yeah, I debated switching my major to like stage management, I debated like switching schools. Sometimes I went to uh, Roberts Wesleyan College, which was a very small um, Christian liberal arts school in Rochester, um, also of like an hour from where I grew up, which um, love Rochester. Rochester is a very great city. Um, I got really involved in theater in, when I was in Rochester. So there's a really big theater scene, like Blackfriars Theater. Um, I probably will talk about them more. They're like my, my home theatrically. Um, and I did like stage managing for them over the summer and have grown uh, with them. Like, I still keep in contact with them. They're um, a regional theater. They do like six professional shows a year and uh, just like really found a, found a home with them. So I had like, you know, my first of many existential crises. I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to 
continue majoring in music ed and um, still at that age, um, I was trying to figure out, you know, how to make a living from all of this and how to like what made the most sense, I guess, financially. Um, when I was an undergrad, which I looking back now, I had no idea, like all of the decisions I was making was like, yeah, like the like good thoughts, but like I had no idea about like the world of providing for myself for like freelancing or how that is possible or not possible. Um, it wasn't until like very recently that I started learning uh, about that, which I am sure I can talk about more because I've learned from some amazing people, some amazing women, um, the world of, of freelancing and music as well. Um, so my time at Roberts was mostly just music ed, well, music ed and theater. Um, I took many, many classes, very, very busy, had a minor in theater as well. So like, you know, just overloading myself with all of the fun. <laughs> uh, and I feel like it really gave me at, at the very least, like if I'm really paring it down to like, I don't know if I'm really being like snarky, then at the very least I got a, a background in all of the instruments, um, which as Cassie can attest to as well as being um, her background in music ed that is like a, a primary function of the or primary path of the music ed major um you take all of your methods classes and you learn all the instruments and now composing like i started all that before i even knew that i wanted to compose so i'm really glad that i have that background because um orchestration is really uh, a big tool in my in my wheelhouse and i feel grateful that i got all of that opportunity to I mean, maybe I'm not like an expert on all of the instruments, but I have a background in all that. It makes orchestration just a lot, like I, uh, just a lot, I wouldn't say easier, but I have um, all of these skills that this music ed major taught me. Um, I went on to like student to teach and, and do all of that. I uh, realized when I was a junior that I wanted to um, compose musical theater. I had this like random assignment that, um, this random like jazz composition assignment. And I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. I want to write musical theater. So that was like the aha moment of finally finding the, the career path that I wanted and that like merged all of, all of my interests. Um, and then have been kind of chasing that ever since. That's great. And I feel like, you know, sometimes some people know right from the get go, this is exactly what I want to do with my life. And boom, this is it, I'm done. And there are other people that, you know, they have to like travel along this path to figure it out. And there's really no right way to do that, right? And I also mm -hmm. feel like just because I know your background because I've experienced it, there are very few public school music programs. This isn't like a diss on where we came from, but there are very few public school music programs that really emphasize skills like composition yeah. and orchestration mm -hmm. and theory and those things. Like we had a little bit of theory training, but like really composing and things like that and working with electronic music, that's not stuff that's necessarily done in that like traditional setting. Right. So those kids that end up along that path and in that career, a lot of times find that much later. Right. Because that's not yeah. something that they'd experienced before unless they did some sort of summer camp or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And a lot of people that end up pursuing like composition or, you know, conducting those things for their masters, a lot of like the degree recommendations and stuff that I've seen online are like, hey, like someone with a music ed degree 
could pursue this because you've already had that training with those instruments and you know how to write for them because you had to learn them. You know that? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, your path wasn't, you know, the most straightforward arrow, like people like figure things out, you know, immediately and that sort of thing. But I think that the experiences you had, you had for a reason, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, composition is such like a circuitous path. The freelancing, like freelancing composition and freelancing, like in general, is just such a circuitous path. Um, it's, it totally makes sense. Like how my background came up and then like seeing the people around me, like um, it's, it's common to like not discover this until a little bit later in your life. Yeah. So let's talk about your theater interests, because even in high school, you were super interested in all of the musical theater productions going on there. And then you ended up minoring in it and you helped stage manage and all those things. So can you talk about how, you know, your passion for musical theater has affected you and your professional life and the things that you're working on now? Absolutely. That's a good question. I have had ups and downs path with musical theater. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I shall explain and then maybe it'll be more clear. Um, <laughs> but it's, I think a lot of people start off like involved in musical theater in, in some way or just like theater because it's fun and that's great. And that's like, you know, half of it, I would say. Like, I love all of the, the theater kids around the country and like we all are theater kids at heart. Like everyone who continues in this, like I am not an adult, I'm just a grown up theater kid. Um, and it, it was that first time that I found like this sense of, com sense of community um, and like, like friendship and um, like these deep bonds and um, being a part of a team that like I hadn't found. Um, and that band was the same way, um, but Cassidy and I, I mean, Cassidy, I think you did some sports. You did like a little bit. That was like what we were yeah. famous for in, in Clarence was being able to like do multiple things at one time, but I did very few sports. So the team aspect came from music, not the athletics in my, mm -hmm. in my background. Yeah, and theater, theater really uh, fulfilled that for me as well. And I just love the storytelling aspect of theater. That's something that I have really carried through to this day, just how we can tell a story and impact like a whole audience of people, but then learn more about yourself as you're, as you're doing it, as you're telling the story and all the different people involved. Um, that was very cool for me. I started off doing props, like collecting props and like making things for, for the high school shows, um, which was fun. It was like me being a crafty kid. I was like painting cardboard to be shields and stuff. And then they appeared on stage and like, that was very cool that I was, you know, given this special job and then like told that it was important because it was, those were my props on stage. And that was like the first time that I, as a kid had been like told that I, I don't want to say told that I was important or something, but it's the first like important thing you do as a, as a kid. And then you, you want to find like more of those things where it's, it's the thing that you were meant to be doing and, something that like has an impact on the rest of the world and I think that directly that's that same idea is what directly affects my composing um I probably got into composition this the same way like it, for fun it was 
like something fun to do. It's fun to like make songs and like test things out and play things on the piano or like play it on the flute and come up with melodies. Um, but then I found like this deeper side as well. Like I can really affect the world. Um, and I always feel like I, I get like really um, philosophical and like really meta when I talk about this, but I truly believe it that like composition changes the world and like telling musical theater stories, creating these these stories for people to see. Uh, we want to make the world a better place. I think that's the essence of creating these stories. And it's a lofty goal, sure, but I, I think music definitely has the ability to do that. It has the ability to change the world. And I think, why not? Like, why shouldn't we shoot for this extremely lofty goal? Um, because it, it can be done. We all know those, those shows, like whether they're, it doesn't have to be musicals. It doesn't have to be musical theater. Um, but we all know those stories that stick with us and they, they inspire us to be better people and they, yeah. they make us feel more connected in this world. And that is what has drawn me to theater just as a whole. I want to make those stories. And uh, let those theater kids tell those stories on the stage. Yeah, that's excellent. I love all of that. And and I do agree with that. Like the people that, I think musical theater is one of the largest entities that draws audiences of people that aren't necessarily musically trained mm -hmm. to buy into music, you know? Um, because let's be frank, your average Joe Schmo is not attending a symphony orchestra concert every week yeah but there are people that like flock to broadway shows yeah it's this this weird i think about it sometimes how it's like this this fun night out and how people are obsessed with it and like the you know the lawyers love to come not that like lawyers as a whole but the, <laughs> i like have friends who do these the people that I meet that are like oh I'm an engineer but I love theater we're a house that loves theater and it's a, it's a interesting phenomenon that all of these people can come together and enjoy these shows and it is fun and it it doesn't have to be like a slap in the face of like we need to to change the world it can be it definitely can be uh, one of my favorite quotes about theater is that it should theater should comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable, mm. which is a very cool thing to do in an audience full of all these different people. Um, and definitely something that Broadway and theater in general needs to get better at, including different groups of people on stage and telling different stories and not just talking to the, the lawyers and engineers and theater kids in the audience. You know, there's more people than that in the world and Broadway definitely needs to do a better job of um, representing those people. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I actually interviewed, so I went to Baldwin Wallace Conservatory of Music, right, for my undergrad, and that is actually the number one school in the country for musical theater, which mm -hmm. I am not a musical theater major, but <laughs> I just know those hot facts, right? So I actually interviewed one of my friends who recently graduated as a musical theater major there, um, and we actually had a full out conversation about this idea of the lack of representation that exists in musical theater and Broadway theater and those sorts of things. And, you know, how there's a lot of tokenism there that exists. Mm -hmm. He talked about how he was part of this, you know, one summer theater that he does. And the, they hired a bunch of black actors to do like the colored purple or whatever mm -hmm. show it was, because they had like three shows running that summer and they had them all go home. 
for the second two shows. Yeah. They weren't even included in the entire summer program. They were just included in the quote unquote black cast show. So they felt very tokenized because yeah. they were, you know, a part of that one show and they were left out of the rest. Yeah. Just using people as bodies and not yeah. like as a human experience. Yeah, exactly. Ugh. Yeah. And we talked about that, how, you know, a lot of people can't really separate that visual from the, you know, the auditory sense in the sense that like, you know, we are performing a show and it's a musical, right? It's got music. That first response is auditory. And so people have a hard time separating the face or what the person looks like from the actual music making. Mm. And that's where that conflict happens, right? When it comes to casting, um, when it really shouldn't matter what the person looks like, if they are the best person for the role, then they should be in that role. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's, that's a, exists. that's a new thing in like the, the creator's world as well, like shows that exist. So new, new musical shows, but within like, you know, the last 10, 15 years, like that, mm -hmm. that window. Um, so when they were written, like, you know, without all of this um, awareness towards like, gender equality and racial equality um and now there's um i want to say mti has i just learned about this too this should be hopefully none of my professors will listen to this and quiz me <laughs> um, i'm pretty sure mti has these new contracts that say that encourage performers to reach out to the creators so um there's like stipulations that a person who identifies as a certain gender can play this role that's that. Mm -hmm. So a person identifies as a woman can play this role that's in, that is a, a female character. Um, mm -hmm. Or you can reach out to, you're encouraged to reach out to the, the creators and ask like, oh, is it okay if we do blah? Is it okay if we, if this character isn't white? Is it okay? And it really encourages this conversation. And, and apparently most of the time the, the creators are like, that's awesome. Yeah, let's roll with that. I'm excited to see what you do. And that's cool to give the the younger people more, more power. I mean, it's not going to work for these like golden age shows, which unfortunately is where a lot of the problems come from. Mm -hmm. um, and are you know, then continued on throughout the, the theater tradition, but it's cool that there's more of this conversation going on and encouraged between um, the, the youth theater of America and then the creators. Cause I think the, the as we're seeing, the change comes from from the younger people. Um, so it's cool to give them more more power to see to let them change the world as well. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Do you feel like you know, as a younger person that is involved in this sort of musical theater and composition sort of realm now, do you feel like there is more collaboration between people who are creating shows and people that are performing shows? I think so. It's interesting. That's an interesting question because my program is, my grad program is like specifically com like really intertwined with performers and creators. So where mm -hmm. there's my, uh, my grad program has, there's like two programs. So the Institute of American Musical Theater has a performers program and then a grad program. And the performers is like a conservatory type, you know, like college or, or high school or age. Um, students and they like go through their whole like acting, performing, dance program, whatever you yeah. have to do to, to become a, a performer. Um, and then yeah. we as the creators are allowed to ask 
those people every week to perform our stuff. So I have, you know, great level recordings from these professional performers. Um, and I've been able to collaborate with these amazing performers who are, who are up and coming um, and, you know, going to be the next um, Sutton Foster or Stephanie J. Block. They're, they're, it's cool that uh, we're able to give them the spotlight and they're able to give us their time. Um, it's a very cool collaboration between, between both of them. And it's always cool the questions that they ask. You know, on one hand, it, whenever someone performs your piece or like a, a new work, um, I had a performer who was like, yeah, I just don't understand this lyric. And I was like, oh, that's because it, you're right. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> that's on me. There's an oversight there. So it's cool that they can, you know, that these people can catch the, the stuff. They're like, oh, this doesn't make sense. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, I should, I should relook at that. But yeah. on the other hand, they, they ask cool questions like, well, what would happen during this instrumental break? Or what, what is my motivation here? And what, what are you thinking for this? And it, it allows me to, to see it as like a performer or an audience member um, in a more collaborative sense and um, just build on both the, the piece and the performance. I think um, everything good can come from collaboration. It's a very cool, a very cool thing. Yeah, and then in that way, it's a learning experience for everyone, right? You know, they're learning mm -hmm. your side of things and you're learning their side of things. So I think that's really awesome. It's very cool. Yeah, definitely would encourage any and all collaboration. Yeah, so you had mentioned, you know, you're you're attending IAMT. IAMT. Yes, I can do it. IAMT. So what has that experience been like for you? Because I know before we started, you know, recording the episode, you had said, you know, you just finished your first semester and it was like virtual. And so you're going to be hopefully be going back to person in person learning soon. So what is the program like? You know, what sort of classes are you taking? What are you involved in um, there for as a grad student? Yeah, it's amazing. Um, this is like the very first creators program at the at IMT. So it was supposed to start this year and you know because of the state of the world they're doing like this baby program so it's like five classes a semester a little bit less than it will be like in person and they've all been online which is you know a learning curve um, but very cool to still be able to work with this faculty. Um, I think mostly the the coolest part of it all being online is I get to take classes with people from all across the country. Um, there's adults in the program who, the creator of Younger, the TV show, or the woman who wrote the book and who, that later became the TV show that Sutton Foster was on. She was taking classes with us and um, a, a mom from Arkansas was taking classes with us because she wanted to learn lyrics and she wanted to learn book writing. So all of these cool people that you wouldn't necessarily think like, oh yeah, they're going to be in this grad program, are able to take classes with us. And um, because of that, I'm able to collaborate with these people. So it's, I'm always a big fan of being friends with people that aren't just of my age group. I've always held that um, in importance. And I think this program is so far doing a really good job of it with um, the people being able to take classes from all across the country because I get these opportunities to experience or to collaborate with people like 10, 20 years older than me, um, but also people like a couple years younger than me and especially the performers program that are a little bit younger. So I 
it's not just, you know, a bunch of 23 year olds that are like talking about life as if we know anything about life when we're this young. Uh, it's very cool to take classes with people that are, you know, of just a bunch of different backgrounds and the uh, teachers are just phenomenal. They're all people who are working in the craft or are like teaching, working in the craft and like have a, have a career teaching. Um, it's a very cool contemporary feel. Um, I know there's some programs just in the country in this field that are very rooted in their ideas of the past, especially with um, just pronouns and gender equality and racial equality and these um, musical, these ideas that really do impact storytelling um, and how stories should be told and who should be included at the table. Um, and this program does a really good job of including everyone and just questioning, questioning things, um, questioning why choices are made and always trying to push for the, I don't want to say the most progressive answer, but the right answer, the, the answer that's not hurting anyone. Um, and the professors do a really good job of, of discussing all of that. They're not afraid to call people out for being racist. They're like unintentionally, they're not afraid to, to say like, Oh, this piece that you wrote, it, it, I don't know why you made these choices. Maybe it was just an oversight. And if you were intending to be racist, that's something that we can talk about. But if you weren't, then we should talk about that. And you know, all of that sounds very scary um, to be like called out in front of, not just in front of your peers, but just called out um, in something that society says we shouldn't talk about, like there's something that we should be afraid of. Um, and it's cool that we've had that opportunity to just have these honest discussions um, with each other, with the faculty, um, not meaning like any ill will towards people. It's just a, a, a place to learn. So that's been very cool and just all online so we can meet with people from all across the country. My professor, or my, the head of the department is in Nevada with his in-laws. I don't really know why, but he's been there the whole, the whole <laughs> semester. So that's very cool. Just all around great. I would recommend IMT to anyone who is looking to to take classes um, this next semester, like on a more casual sense or starting the creators program next year for like the two year grad program. There's really not that many programs that are training musical theater creators and IMT does a really good job um, being ethically priced one, which is something that's very important right now. There's programs that are upwards of $100,000 for two years, which is just not feasible. Um, it's just not, it's just, it's just not feasible in this world. So mm -hmm. they do, they do a good job, um, you know, charging an ethical price and then giving the students what they have paid for it. Like I, I do feel like I have gotten my money's worth um, and can approach any of these professors with any, with any questions and they're, they're willing to meet me and talk to me about musical theater, which is uh, not something that I take lightly, you know, people giving their time for feedback or teaching or any of these like heartfelt thoughts, definitely not something I take lightly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's excellent. I, I love everything that you said about the program sounds wonderful and in a great place to be that's, you know, very accepting and, you know, nurturing of your creativity as well. It's very cool. Just the just the fact that they you know they tell everyone like we had a we had a concert we have classes we have blah 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 any any time we're meeting people or introducing anything they always the professors say okay introduce yourself say your pronouns say your favorite color or whatever 
and just the fact that they that they are normalizing everyone saying their pronouns that they are listing their pronouns in their their zoom name um it just means a lot um in the world it just you can you can tell what an institution is valuing if they just that that simple act of like you know respecting people um you can, you can really tell their their what they value yeah for sure um, and you had mentioned earlier in our conversation that you have been doing some freelancing and you had also talked about how there have been some women along the way that have really helped you with figuring out, you know, this freelancing world. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Thank you for reminding me. I was totally Yeah, I got forget. you. <laughs> <laughs> so I, so at this program, I have been taking a class with Marla Hunter, who is a freelance director, and she has this class called the Freelance Artists Manifesto. She usually offers it to like college age students, like uh, what, what would it be? I guess in a, in a performing arts school, it would be like one of their seminars or one of their classes that she would teach like for the semester. And it's about just the, free, just the freelance artists way of life, their manifesto. Um, it was combined with that. And then the second half of the class was the business of musical theater. So I really got this um, all encompassing like freelance and business world outlook. Um, just like simple stuff, like how do you view the freelance lifestyle or like how do you view yourself? How do you view the artist lifestyle? Do you think that you should be broke? Do you do you think that you should have healthcare? Just these simple things that isn't really talked about in until it's too late. It isn't it isn't talked about. You have to figure it out yourself. You have to ask people or brag about how you don't have any money or you're a starving artist. All of these things that are so toxic. The idea, just truly the idea that we should be starving for our art and we shouldn't have health care and we should be in debt. Like that's such a toxic idea. And I don't know why. I mean, I thought it before the class too, before, you know, September, I was like, oh, I'm so proud of myself that I don't know how money works. I don't know why we think that as artists and as freelancers yeah. that's so backwards to yeah. how it should be so I was able to take this class I was able to take this class and if anyone has the opportunity to take it or learn anything from Marlo she is amazing in her teaching and in her um, diligence with finding out what we need to know and bringing in the right people to talk to us we talked to um, people creating the new director at Playwrights Horizons um, her agent uh, person who is freelancing and doing like kids shows over zoom talk to all of these amazing different people um and just learned the the ins and outs of the business side of of freelancing and how feasible it is um i'm currently looking to uh like vary my sources of income and like figure out providing for myself as this pandemic is like ending or continuing or my artistic life is is continuing on really starting to like settle into different sources of income and it's not a scary process anymore it's not like baffling it's not like mysterious or terrifying it's just something that I've learned how to do because of her and that's uh really valuable especially that it has come all this knowledge has come to me from a woman which is amazing to have these conversations with someone who really understands um, just the path that I am going through as well. Yeah, that's excellent. 
and yeah, I, I don't understand why there's this perception that we all have to starve. <laughs> yes, it's <laughs> As so artists. backwards. Yeah, and that we can't make money because there are plenty of people that make money in the arts and make money in music and that sort of thing. So I don't necessarily know why that perception exists. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like just as many people can starve at many other careers as well. It's not just music. (laughs) Yes, yes. Yeah, and we shouldn't feel guilty for having a day job for forever Mm -hmm. or having different sources of income. It this this musical journey used to be uh, so linear. Like if we didn't make it, then we had to do something else. Or if if we decided that we didn't want to do it anymore, then we had to do something else. But now we can have this day job for our career, for different sources of income, and we can we can make music as well. It doesn't have to be like this all or nothing. And I think that is something that at least it feels like my parents' generation doesn't understand. Um, yeah. Like the worry that, oh, well, you're not making any, you're not making enough money in your music. You're not blah, but it's, it's okay because I can make money from different things that I enjoy doing and I can enjoy my day job. I don't have to hate it. That's an- another thing. Like I can find jobs that I enjoy uh, which hmm. for some reason we think we should hate our like suffer for our art as well but that's not true I can find like any number of different things that I enjoy to do in music or or not in music and it's all okay it really is just all okay <laughs> yeah yeah it is okay right and I, I do agree there is that perception there and there's also that perception that you know you're only successful in music if you're in classical music. You're only mm-hmm. successful in music if you are, you know, performing in a symphony orchestra. There's all these biases that exist, even just within our field in and of itself. There's this mm-hmm. sort of hierarchy that exists where there's, you know, the elite jobs and then there are, you know, the bottom of the barrel jobs, which shouldn't be a thing at all either. Right. Um, but that's just what has been kind of built into the culture. Yeah, it's unfortunate how we in the same industry can attack each other and take each other down because it's all just, it's all just art. It's all just music. And then even bigger than that, we're all just living our lives. It, it doesn't need to be a competition or, or if it is strictly competition, then it doesn't have to be, we don't have to take that to like personal levels or like yeah, just personal levels. It, you know, if if I'm competing with the same people for the same job, then like, okay, then that happens. But it's not like a, a personal reflection of my worth or their worth or how anyone should be living our lives. Like it, it's, it's all just, we're all just fine, really. <laughs> also, I wanted to touch on a, a little bit um, of some advice that maybe you can give some people that are listening. Um, you had before we started recording you had mentioned that you had maybe some resources or some things that you have found that have been helpful for you you know as a woman and as being in music so do you have anything you'd like to share with anybody um, that has been helpful to you? Absolutely I think a major reason that I have been able to continue in this field and look towards the the future with excitement is because of Maestro Music. Um, if anyone knows this organization, it was, started, sorry, it was founded by Georgia Stitt um, and it is 
a musical organization that is for female identifying and non-binary people. Um, and at its core, it is a community of like-minded individuals uh, interested in pursuing or in the field of composition and music direction, orchestration, copyist work, uh, performing. Uh, it's this kind of big conglomerate of the musical field um, and just offers so much, I want to say emotional support to the people involved. Um, there's these technical workshops that are great for, you know, learning about different instruments or learning about um, the artist's life or um, fostering the creative spirit, but it feels just like a community. Like they had a, there's different, there's different groups inside of it, but one of the student organization just had a Christmas party or they had like a, a mentor program meeting and it was just like hanging out with a bunch of friends. Um, I was telling my friend that we were in the same meeting and I remember telling her that Maestro is the opposite of elitist. And I think yeah. that's, really important in this field. Uh, it's not really something you find all over the place. Like it, it sounds like there should be many organizations and people and communities that are not elitist, but uh, it actually is kind of rare, which is kind of sad. Um, but Maestra is just the example of like how they do it well. They are so supportive and inclusive. Um, and I would definitely recommend um, checking out their community. And if you are someone who is in this uh, musical community then make a profile in their directory. Uh, they hounded me for many, many months and I told myself I was too busy, haha. <laughs> um, and I finally made a, a, a post in the directory. So uh, I would recommend the same to other people and maybe they won't have to be hounded as much as I was. Yeah, I, I think it's also an incredible resource as well. Um, I've come upon them recently in the past, I don't know, a couple of years or so. And it's just a great place, again, like you said, to get that support that you need being a person that's, you know, minoritized in music, but also just being, you know, a community and also a database to like find different people that are doing amazing things in music as well. Um, and, and I find myself sharing their posts on the podcast social media a lot too, because there's just so many great resources that they're putting out there. So everybody should be checking them out. Mm -hmm. Mr. Music is great. Um, and I'm so glad that you mentioned them because that is, that is a resource that we haven't really talked about too much on the podcast. I've brought up a few um, in the past, but that is one that is really a great support system for anybody that needs it. And also just to find more information about some women and non-binary folks that are doing some excellent things um, in music. So, absolutely. So do you have kind of any, you know, hopes or dreams that you're thinking about pursuing um, after, you know, you are a graduate from IAMT, <laughs> like what is the goal? I'm always tripping over the acronym, IAMT, <laughs> Um, so do you have any, you know, like what's, what's the dream? What's the goal right now? Yeah, it's a little bit up in the air until theater comes back a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's weird that um, Broadway is shut down. It's this weird, as you know, this weird time in our, in our country. Um, I just want to produce things as much as I can and for as long as I can. Um, I have a couple shows and a couple projects that I am collaborating on or um, working on in the early stages um, and I'm excited to keep working on those and then produce them you know as soon as 
feasibly possible <laughs> um, as soon as the get them up into workshops as soon as it's safe to do so for for people to be in the same room. Um, I am mostly looking forward to collaborating with more people, learning more. Um, definitely value learning above all else. I think that this program has really taught me how we're gonna learn for the rest of our lives. And I uh, used to place so much emphasis on finding a program or finding like a higher ed program that was gonna teach me everything. And then I was gonna get produced and then I was just gonna coast for the rest of my life and not learn anything. And that's not how it works. It's, it's such a, a learning based field. And I'm excited to always be learning from the people around me and the people above me and the people who have, who have come before me. Um, especially all of the female mentors that I have that um, has really excited me for the program or not for the program for like the rest of my life for continuing in this field. Um, that's something that especially Maestra has changed, um, but it used to be before the last like five, 10 years, there just weren't a lot of female mentors and role models in this field, especially this, this field of, of composition. And once you get to the, the informal parts of your education when you when you you know graduate from a formalized program and you're pursuing your your craft and, and your career um it's difficult to i mean it's impossible to to continue if you don't have mentors but um just it's difficult if you if you don't have many female role models to look up to uh it's just a like a simple human fact it's easy for people of the same sex to bond with each other informally so if it's a male dominated career then all the the young men coming up and um, looking for mentors and looking for for support they just naturally bond with the the male mentors just naturally bond to them um, bond yeah. with them and find these like informal partnerships um, and that is I think a big reason why we've had this this sort of disparity um, in in the field, um, but Maestro is doing a good job to change that, and I'm looking forward to just, especially just being a mentee to more of these amazing women that I've already worked with and learned so much from. Um, looking yeah. forward to seeing seeing more art, I guess. That's awesome. And I, I love how you mentioned that mentor mentee relationship, because that is true. Mentors naturally, you know, bond with people that identify the same way that they do. And that's why mm -hmm. it's so, so, so important that we are promoting as many women professionally in any field of music as possible. And we're promoting any sort of minoritized population in music as much as possible because of those mentor mentee relationships. We cannot have a more diverse pool of people in music if that is not a priority. So I completely Absolutely. agree with you in that way. Yeah. And I actually saw a post the other day. I want to say maybe it was from Maestro Music. I'm going to check right now. Um, <laughs> there was a post the other day and it, cause it mentioned musical theater and like the lack of representation there is for women. And I shared it on um, our social media when I saw it. Yes, it was, it was from them. So this was from like two days ago. They posted this on their Instagram and it was the percentages of women musicians on Broadway from 2015 to 2019. Mm. And um, only 11% of keyboardists were women, 6.9% guitarists, 9.6% were conductors, 
5.2% of percussionists and 6.7% of brass players were women on Broadway. Um, and, and the statistic that, you know, personally affected me the most, obviously, as being a brass player was that 6.7% of brass players um, or women um, on Broadway. And this was 2015 to 2019. So this is like recent people. Mm. Um, and, and that just blew me away because obviously, yes, a lot of brass instruments are male dominated, but that statistic doesn't really match up to the actual, you know, proportionate population of women that are brass players. And so that shocked me a little bit that there's still that, you know, lack of representation, even in the musicians that are involved yeah. in Broadway. Yeah. And I, I was reading through some of those statistics and some of, I've heard so much and I, I do it as well, where immediately I try to, and I think a lot of people try to dismiss it like, well, maybe women just aren't interested in, in blah. And I mean, we know that's just not true to the, to the effect of these, of these percentages, but I think that mentor-mentee relationship really speaks to that. Um, I think a lot of people, a lot of female-identifying and non-binary people grow up interested in these things or, or find an interest, and in, and it's not that the formal education is completely uh, pitted against them. We we can all have the same formal education. You know, we're admitted into the same undergrad. We have a lot of we have equal equal I don't know, people in undergrad or, or high school that the, that are interested in pursuing these instruments. Um, but then you get to the informal mentor freelance lifestyle where you're just kind of on your own looking for mentors. And that's where people can just get discouraged and leave the, the field. And I think, think that's, the, that's why we can't, we can't just dispel this with like well maybe women just aren't interested because we don't that's not true we we don't know that to be true and we can't just write off all of these percentages of the lack of representation in all of these um instrumental fields because women aren't interested Mm -hmm. yeah i absolutely agree actually i i've done a lot of research in this area particularly with band because i am a band director and you know that's the world that i know yes <laughs> but um you know I, i've done a lot of research in these this area for different presentations and things like i presented at a gender equity and music conference at eastman last spring i just did a session a virtual session at nispa conference on gender equity and band so i've done a fair amount of research um on this topic and there was actually a study done um, where a, a researcher examined the enrollment of high school students in band, orchestra, choir, um, and obviously I was focused more on the band, da the data from band, but um, there were actually more, they looked over like a 30-year span, and there were more females, I'm going to use the word female and male because that's what they use in the research study, so mm -hmm. they did not necessarily include um, non-binary identifying students, which is a whole other story, mm -hmm. Um, and I'll get into that in a second, but, um, there were more females enrolled in the program than male students over a 30 year span. So in wow. band, actually the women outnumber the men, but then when you look at the professional realm, we are significantly outnumbered. So there is this discrepancy that happens in somewhere between high school and the professional field where there's just this gap and, what we need to figure out is what the hell is happening in this gap, mm -hmm. right? That is discouraging women from 
you know, either attending university or, you know, getting those jobs and succeeding in that way in the professional field, there's this huge gap that exists. Yeah, it's sad. It just, it's really sad that there isn't more, that people are being shut out, really. That's what, I mean, that's what that means, that people are being shut out, and that is really sad. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and, and, you know, talking about the male, female identifying issues with research is that that's, that's kind of a commonality where everything is kind of pushing the binary in the sense that what a lot of researchers can get the raw data from is, you know, biologically identifying or, you know, what the person was born as, and that's what they count, you know, mm-hmm. male mm-hmm. or female. And I, I think that's kind of tragic because you're, you're A, othering non-binary and trans folks, but you're also like completely discounting who they are identity wise. So I think one of the other big holes that's happening right now in music is that we need to start counting those people in research Mm -hmm. and making a category for them and making a space for them um, to be counted and to be included. And we need to start examining the trends of those folks as well to see what's happening there, because I know for a fact that they are also outnumbered in the field. For sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like talk about uh, mentors that you want to identify with. That is so important mm-hmm. uh, that these people are being, are being shut out because there aren't people that are old, that are above them that they identify with. I mean, it's starting to be a little bit better because of Maestra. I'll promote them again. Maestra is, <laughs> is doing the, the good work. Um, yeah. But it's, it just is sad. It is definitely a change that we all need to be aware of. And I mean, Cassidy, you're just doing such good work talking about it. I think that's the first step is making people aware of it um, and highlighting these folks that are, that are doing the work in the field. Yeah, thank you. And, and, and yeah, that's what this is starting with is just not being afraid to have these conversations and put this on a table and say, hey, this is a problem. How do we Absolutely. fix it? And Absolutely. I, think, I think that mentor-mentee relationship is a very important solution to the issues that we are talking about. Do you have like anything else that you have thought of that could help with these representation issues besides um, mentor-mentee relationships? Mm, I think I think something I try to do is specifically listen to music of different people. Mm-hmm. Um, and of of different groups of different representations, um, which isn't like life changing. Um, but I think that's something that that all of us can be doing. Like everyone listening at home should should vary their their listening or search out more people that that are from uh, diverse backgrounds. Um, because I can find myself listening to the same things or the say the people that look like me or the sounds that that sounds like me. I don't even know what that is, but uh, <laughs> I, it has to be a specific searching out of people. Um, and there are a bunch of different ways to, to go about like researching that to find, um, to find like new music to listen to. Um, but I think that's really important to listen to, to listen to a lot of, of different sources. Um, and I question a lot of times like, oh, am I only listening to, to, male bands or male composers or or blah am i like am i listening to any female composers am i listening to any pop that's that's written by women um 
And it, I, I just try to keep asking those questions. And if not, then why? Like, why am I listening to Beethoven for the 50th time? Which I do, Okay, guilty <laughs> pleasure. I will admit on this podcast that I love Beethoven. And that is something that I can enjoy privately and we don't need to program him on every concert or any concert for the next three years. I think Beethoven's grave will survive. Um, yeah. But there's so many different people making music, especially in like the new music classical orchestral world. Um, I am in like the new music arts on gaming uh, orchestral classical instrumental world, whatever, whatever you would like to call that. I'm in that kind of world as well as the, the musical theater composing realm. And there's so many people who don't look like Beethoven that are writing music. There's so many different people who are writing music. And I think that if you're only programming the same six dead white men, you really need to take a look at yourself and want, and ask yourself why, because it's not the best music in the world. And it's not the only music in the world. I absolutely agree wholeheartedly with everything that you said. Expand those horizons, listen to some different people. You're also promoting those people and their music and you're helping those people, you know, make money and not be starving artists. Absolutely. Exactly. Nothing (laughs) bad can come from listening to women artists. Exactly. And, you know, if you don't end up liking their music, if that's not your personal preference, then move on and find the next person. Um, But yeah, but discovering that, expanding the horizons, programming that music, all sorts of things like that are things, they're very plausible steps that all of us can make. Um, no matter who you are. I absolutely agree. Lily, I want to thank you so much for being on and for talking to all of us today and about all the things that you're passionate about and all the projects that you're doing. Um, all fan- so fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, Cassidy, for having me. It was nice to reconnect after 35 years. <laughs> <laughs> feels like it sometimes, right? I know, doesn't it? It feels so long.